Coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss a new appeal to Apple's bug bounty program. Next up, the times they are a vulnerability chaining. And finally, our fun game, Two Truths and a Lie. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 64, recorded on October 19th, 2020. I'm your co-host, Kelsey. Vote now or forever hold your peace, LaBelle. With me, co-host Tarek, vote or die, Salah. And last but not least, Taylor, go vote, y'all, Wilkes Pierce. Welcome, everybody. Hey, good to be here. Hooray! Glad to be back. Yeah, are we, were we clear enough, do you think, with our intros there? Do you think people know what we want them to do? Really mixed messages. Truly. I mean, we got to get on the same page, people. (laughs) Well, I feel like it's important to talk about. So, Tarek, um, before something horrible went wrong with with Taylor's machine, um, Tarek and I were passing back and forth different InfoSec content that we're ingesting in the world right now. And so I was telling Tarek about the new book that's out, Attack Surface, and then Tarek was talking to me about Tehran, um, which sounds like a great new show. I just finished, I know I'm really late to the party here, but I just finished the series finale of Mr. Robot. Um, had a good cry there. Taylor, do you have any additional shows or books that you've been ingesting lately that you want to throw into the mix? Oh, man, the Sandworm book? <laughs> I mean, that's not, not new by any means, but uh, awesome. Uh, another vote for Mr. Robot from me. I think the sand word needs to be a dance move also. Can you make that a thing? I don't know that you want me to try to take an at-bat at that, but I, I'm sure we can find somebody <laughs> at Domain Tools who can. have <laughs> got a really good medical benefits here, so if you hurt yourself, you'll be all right. I'm more afraid take of hurting everyone else that's watching me. <laughs> it's okay. We're all work from home. People can always turn away if it's, you know, if it's disturbing them. You're all good. I think you could really nail it. <laughs> I appreciate your confidence. <laughs> you actually didn't know, but when you signed up for this episode, um, that was in your contract. So we'll be awaiting that video with bated breath. <laughs> oh, you got it. I'll send over some links for you to click that'll have the video. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. I guess before um, I click, because I still might just at the chance that Taylor's messing with us and was actually like, they'll think I'm fishing them, but it will actually be a video of me inventing a dance move. Um, I will move to our first article, which is a new appeal to Apple's bug bounty program. So between the period of July 6th and October 6th, Sam Curry, um, Brett, Ben, Samuel, Tanner, these folks all worked together and hacked on the Apple bug bounty program. So Taylor, I know you were pretty excited about this and I am feeling it's unlikely that Sam Curry just woke up one morning and decided to hack Apple. So how did Sam come across the bug bounty program that started this great adventure? (laughs) Um, You know, kind of, he didn't just wake up and decide to start hacking Apple, but in the article he lays out that he did see someone uh, hit up a bug bounty for a hundred grand on a a zero day login sign in. And he was unaware at that point uh, that Apple had kind of opened up a a program like that. And then at that point decided to uh, team up with some folks and then try to see what they could get uh, out of the kind of public facing infrastructure that Apple, uh, Apple has, which is pretty significant as it turns out. 
Yeah, and I'm curious. He gets into that fairly quickly in terms of what his team's first step is in identifying what to target for the sake of the bug bounty. And it sounds like that might have been one of the key challenges his team experienced. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So Apple's got a slash eight uh, or 17.0.0.0, which is a ton of IPs. Um, and there's, uh, by their count, 25,000 web servers, 10,000 of those are under just apple.com and another 7,000 other unique domains. You know, we actually, it's just funny because we can kind of run some of this stuff into Iris uh, to bring it back to domain tools uh, related content. Uh, and we can run a search on, on a site or range inside of Iris. And I don't generally drop a whole slash eight in there. I'm usually sticking to slash 29s, uh, slash 30s, looking for kind of small hosting allocations uh, in VPS lands. Um, but, you know, we, we picked up uh, a ton of domains in that space, um, good and bad and Apple and not Apple, um, you know, just a, kind of a lot of stuff advertising itself there. Uh, and at that point, then they went and grabbed uh, HTTP status codes, headers, responses, screenshots of everything. Uh, that they, they, they wanted to kind of uh, get up, get their arms around what everything could be up front to try and tackle as much of it as possible. Did you name this investigation in Iris the apple of my Iris? <laughs> no, I didn't. I can't believe you came up with that so fast. You are the pun champion. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's truly a sickness. Ask anyone close to me. It's not a pleasant thing to be around. Hey, as someone who hasn't gotten to see you in a, in a few months, it's something that I miss dearly. Uh, and I feel my own pun skills atrophying as a result. <laughs> <laughs> What's most bizarre, I think, about not seeing people for a really long period of time like yourself is like, we'll suddenly be in a small meeting together and I'll be like, Taylor's facial hair has completely changed or I'll see it even worse in a tweet from something like an event with Sans and I'll be like, Taylor's a whole new person now. <laughs> yeah, you know, they grabbed a screenshot from my presentation and put that out there. Uh, you know, it <laughs> kind of shows I've got a face for podcasts, I think. Okay. The, <laughs> the listeners Stop. here, don't, don't, don't feel, feel free not to rush out and hunt Do that it. down. Look not at important. the Twitter. Find <laughs> it. Uh, you know, I'm, I, I started this out and said, Hey, I'm not going to get a haircut through this whole thing. And it did, you know, really didn't anticipate the longevity of this thing. That was, um, yeah, maybe a poor decision. I think certainly <laughs> in my wife's eyes, uh, <laughs> anyone else who has to look at me. <laughs> no shave COVID. What yeah. could go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. So why was the information that this group obtained helpful in the endeavor then as they're going through and, and mapping out the infrastructure there of Apple? Yeah, you know, the, the recon approach they took allowed them to kind of figure out all the rocks that they could potentially turn over. Um, so, you know, obviously that's, I think, what any, any good, uh, pen test team or, or even a red team or what our adversaries are out there doing every day is, you know, taking a look at what we give them, uh, you know, from, from a web tracing standpoint and, and from our infrastructure standpoint, and what that looks like. You know, we try to flip that around inside of Iris and, and allow our users to kind of turn the tables on the bad guys a little bit and, and hopefully 
hopefully, uh, you know, use some of that same type of, uh, methodologies and, and, uh, hunting down TPPs the same way that these guys might. Uh, and the folks here, man, they, they found a ton of stuff. Um, there were over 50 bugs that they were, that they submitted, uh, in total. Uh, you know, a, a bunch, I think 11 that they were deemed critical. Um, like the, some of the really fun ones. And I'll just read like the titles for them. The, a wormable stored XSS allows uh, attacker to fully compromise a victim iCloud account. And they actually, in the article, there's a, a really fun little 25 second video where, um, you know, they found a way to exploit some cross-site scripting, uh, within iCloud to kind of turn, turn your, uh, iCloud account against you and, and pull photos and documents. Uh, and then <laughs> because it's a, a mail service, just mail all that stuff out. <laughs> and, and then, since it's also a mail service, you know, mail the exploit to everybody you know at the same time, uh, because it's a, a gift that could keep on giving. Uh, and so, you know, just really interesting findings. I think, Taylor, if you ever go the threat actor route, they're going to rename them TWPs instead of TTPs. <laughs> No, I don't think anyone's at worry of that. Um, <laughs> That's <laughs> way, what the W stands too much for. It's worry. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, I the other question I really wanted to ask you because there were forty five or no, excuse me, there were fifty five vulnerabilities mm -hmm. that this team found. So we could do like an entire. This could be like a an annual series that we do <laughs> to like work our way all the way through all these vulnerabilities one podcast at a time but for the sake of time what were some of the vulnerabilities that caught your eye out of curiosity well you know i think it's kind of emblematic a little bit of just how big apple is so they were able to kind of take advantage of some like legacy platforms internal there uh within within apple so like their distinguished educator program there's just like a lot of spots for folks to log in uh and to have different types of permissions and so they've got so many moving parts kind of behind the scenes there that uh it's clear that that it's it's really tough to stay on top of all of it. Um, and so that's, I guess we're, we're really happy these guys submitted all this stuff to the bug bounty program, uh, and, and not, uh, and not to the dark net. <laughs> uh, but you know, the, the different ways that they were able to exploit internal systems to elevate privileges to, um, and, you know, a lot of it is just good old fashioned, just hard, like, let's just throw everything at a wall and see what sticks. And so something that I, that caught my eye in there was like, Hey, we're going to start with all like the really short usernames first, like, uh, three character usernames first. Uh, and I thought that was pretty clever. Um, yeah, just you know, there's a ton in there. I, I definitely urge anyone uh, who's even mildly interested in it to take a look just because there's just so much there. And, and you know, a bunch of it is even well beyond kind of what, what my technical understanding would be for some of the stuff that they were doing. But, um, you know, really, really interesting. I hope that somewhere, somehow, whoever owns like the domains or any infrastructure at Apple, they have this whole cluster and I hope they call it Manhattan. Be because it's the big apple. <laughs> it's just really just clever stuff, right? Like, hey, we'll use, um, you know, if they're using other third party services uh, to, to do things like, hey, if we already know how some of these things are broken, maybe they maybe they're broken in the ways that we can repeat. Um, and I think that that's something that, that our customers kind of come up against. And, and a lot of folks in InfoSec is that your kind of long tail, that vendor supply chain uh, of stuff that that you use and stuff that uses you, uh, you know, that stuff is really hard to 
to get a handle on. Um, I think for for even for small to mid-sized companies and, and someone the size of Apple, certainly they, they've got a lot more of this in place. They have a much larger surface area uh, if we're looking at this stuff than uh, than your average company would. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. I, well, I am curious, then, how did this project conclude? Was Apple responsive? I know that can be a large challenge that uh, folks face in the bug bounty space. Yeah, so it looks like here, Apple's super uh, responsive, that they you know started patching stuff you know very quickly uh, and also paying out the bounties on these things. Uh, and then the last count that I had these guys out around almost 300 grand in bounties, and I think that that, that might have been a little bit older. They could still get beyond that, um, which is not too bad for nine days of, of, breaking, of breaking API endpoints and, <laughs> and cross-site scripting. <laughs> Oh, well, I something I kind of want to pick your brain on too here is how could red teams or threat hunters apply a similar approach that Sam Curry and his team did in the bug bounty process to effectively defend their own organization's infrastructure and, and looking for those vulnerabilities? Yeah, good question. I'd also love to hear uh, Tarek's thoughts on this as well, because uh, you know this this one is it's pretty big, right? So there's just a, there's a lot of moving parts for Apple here. But you know, looking at um, the way that they handle their cross-site scripting, their validation, their input sanitation uh, or sanitization, rather, <laughs> uh, you know that that's something that everybody should always have in mind when they've got uh, services running that are kind of open to the wild. Um, and you know, I think that that's probably step one. Step two, kind of looking through and seeing the third parties that you work with if you're hosting services for for running their services on prem or in you know maybe even in your own cloud. Uh, if you're kind of managing that stuff as well, um, you know, extending that and, and making sure that you're staying on top of, um, you know, the various services that you have running for on your behalf, right? Yeah. And, you know, I think one of the big issues here is that, um, you know, I did a bug bounty response for about four years at a previous company. And one of the big problems is that um, there's just simply not enough resources. Um, you can automate uh, vulnerability discovery to a certain degree, but oftentimes there's not uh, fleets and fleets of, you know, pen testers and fleets and fleets of uh, web app security uh, professionals. It's oftentimes a really small pool of people, usually under 10 for some of these Fortune 50 FANG companies, right? Um, and so simply put, there's just not enough um, expertise to go around to catch a lot of this stuff. You've got such a large surface attack area or so many endpoints and so many running services that uh, you just simply can't keep up and things kind of slip through the proverbial cracks. And uh, this is where bug bounty programs are just so valuable. So if you look at it from like a cost perspective, uh, they work really well. Like Apple spent $300,000, but um, take a look at the cost of hiring, you know, several multiple uh, red teamers or web app security folks, um, yeah, they cost a lot more than $300,000, i will tell you that. Um, plus, you have to factor in the um, the PR aspect, how it makes Apple look good, like they're being, you know, um, a good a participant in bug bounty programs. Um, and also, you're, you know, saving the PR impact of uh, potentially getting those vulnerabilities exploited in the wild, hurting Apple's brand, which is really important to Apple. Um, so overall, I think this is just a big win-win uh, for all parties involved. But uh, 
yeah, when it comes to how could red teams apply a similar approach, it's uh, just need more bodies. <laughs> Perhaps more people could curry favor. Sam oh, God. Favor. <laughs> <laughs> it is a really good article. Um, you know, just tons of good screenshots and videos of the exploits and uh, really well thought out and how they approached the problem space. Like, oh, okay, well, you know, again, testing short usernames, um, trying different XSS uh, payloads to see what, what comes back, you know, nesting uh, CSS stuff, like just really, really clever stuff. And, you know, it's interesting, too, is you factor in the resources of the researchers. So Sam, Brett, Ben, another Sam and Tanner, uh, you've got one, two, three, four, five individuals that probably spent good chunks of hours invested into this. Apple made out like a bandit from a from a cost perspective on this, if you really think about it. Yeah, that's pretty fantastic. And I'm just curious, speaking of that, do you feel that then the bug bounty programs and Apple's willingness to to work with Sam Curry and his team means we're headed in the right direction. And how big of a deal was it that Sam Curry and co found all of these vulnerabilities? And Tarek, I think you've answered that a little bit, but I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on that too, Taylor. Yeah, look, it's encouraging. Um, you know, and anytime we could see folks that, that choose to go through the bug bounty channels for, for stuff like this is, you know, much, much better than some of the, uh, <laughs> uh, the bad alternatives, uh, which, you know, uh, would include all of us finding out about this, like, I don't know, six, 12, 18 months from now when, <laughs> when you've, uh, emailed this iCloud worm, uh, to tens of millions of people and pulled their pictures and documents and stuff. <laughs> indeed well let's go oh go ahead taylor well i was gonna say apple has a bit of experience with the pr fallout from uh you know an icloud breach right so um in the the celebrity uh photo scandal from like, i don't know a couple of years ago uh you know that wasn't necessarily anything that, that apple did per se uh you know it looked like that was kind of lap lapse in secure opsec on uh some of the folks there um but you know certainly they that got there, you know, that got iCloud and Breach out into the media quite a bit, and, and uh, nobody wants to see that. Well, that one was pretty personal for you, right? As a celebrity, uh, was your data not also at stake there, too? <laughs> yeah, they got all the pictures of my two children they could ever possibly handle. And your dogs. <laughs> and Don't the dogs, dogs, yep. And the cat. <laughs> Let's not forget the cat. She's got to make an appearance. Those were the money shots. I think <laughs> that's really what they were searching for. The other celebrities were just a stop along the way to <laughs> the TWP source of cute pictures. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. All right. Well, let's go into our hoodie rating here. And it's it's been a while since we've talked about something so positive. So I'm curious to hear what you two have to say. And Tarek, I'm going to start with you. What would you rate this at? Yeah, this is a solid like uh, 10 out of 10 hoodies. Like this is a, a refreshing example. I know there was some chatter on the internet about Apple not being good enough here in its response. But honestly, we're moving the needle forward and uh, companies are you know, um, doing bug bounty the right way. It's less adversarial, you know, um, and you, you take a look at bug, bug bounty programs and security research programs in general, even like five years ago, there was still like the, the, uh, the apprehension from researchers to even let companies know because so many companies threaten legal action that could put researchers in jail for doing the right thing. I mean, jail, serious stuff. So um, going from that to this, I think we're making tremendous leaps. So 
10 out of 10 uh, hoodies on the awesome on the awesome factor. It's a lot of vulnerabilities. Those are high impact vulnerabilities. Those are ones that could have, you know, really hurt Apple's reputation. Uh, so this is just a win win. This is on the goodie scale. The goodie hoodies. More that's goodies, right. no hoodies. All right. Well, Taylor, would you agree? Is this 10 out of 10 goodies? Yeah. Look, I mean, this is 10 out of 10 goodies. The <laughs> Again, I encourage everyone to take a look at, at the report. Uh, if you run across Sam, Brett, Ben, Samuel or Tanner, uh, get, get them a beverage of their choice <laughs> if they're out. Because, uh, uh, you know, just some of the stuff on there is pr- pretty, pretty neat. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This is well worth a read and well worth a, uh, a beer or cold drink like Taylor said, of their choice. Um, Well, thank you, Taylor, for jumping into that. And I am curious then to get into our second article, which is the times they are a vulnerability chaining. So in this article, Stu of No Before writes about how government and intelligence agencies are engaged in an epic cyber war and offer security teams ideas on how to improve security awareness at their organizations. So I've decided, by the way, whenever the word cyber is used, which, by the way, um, I think... Taylor, in our last article, you referred to like, um, oh, what did you call it? A fleet? I feel like that could be the next like Star Trek or something. Be like cyber fleet. That could be like a whole thing. Um, And I think it's what the internet wants and hates that it wants. But um, I think the rule has to be that you say cyber in that way. That that that's definitely a thing. Um, But Tarek, (laughs) before we dive in, I think it'd be helpful to level set when we're talking about the tactic known as vulnerability chaining, what is this? And are there any recent examples you can point to? Yeah. So vulnerability chaining is, is really something that's kind of manifested since uh, technologies have just become so much uh, harder to compromise, right? We have uh, all kinds of new developments. Um, Like let's, let's rewind time and let's, Let's look at buffer overflows from the 1990s before like ASLR and, and DEP existed, where it was just completely trivial to get a buffer overflow and exploit a system. Uh, so buffer overflows still exist today, but oftentimes there's just technologies in place to kind of detect and mitigate um, exploitation that makes things a lot harder. So what researchers generally do now is is have a multi-chained approach. So for example, um, well, so a chain vulnerability is really just a vulnerability, a series of vulnerabilities that are linked together to really become more than the sum of their parts. Um, and I was thinking about examples of this. And like one of those is, let's say you have like a web application that transmits um, sign-on credentials over HTTP, which is, you know, completely snippable. And let's say a threat actor snags those and signs into um, a uh, the web service that's, you know, transmitting over uh, plain text. Um, and then a, that threat actor is able to uh, log into an account from the uh, credentials that were hijacked, and they find a vulner- like an unrestricted file upload vulnerability um, in that person's account profile for their avatar picture um, that allows them to upload a web shell and, get, and gain command execution. That's an example of like two vulnerabilities that are chained together um, that threat actors use to complete an attack. And uh, I've seen that one happen uh, multiple times in my career, too. That's a kind of a common one. Um, another one I was thinking about, like, what can I talk about in my, from my experiences dealing with Chain Zero Days? I think one of my favorite ones was uh, several years ago, I dealt with an investigation that had a Chain Zero Day and Adobe Flash and Internet Explorer 10 uh, that was attributed to APT1 uh, involving a watering hole attack against Forbes.com. So 
anytime somebody with um, a uh, uh, Internet Explorer 10 or under and the latest version of Adobe Flash visited Forbes.com, there was an iframe that delivered a chain zero day um, that delivered a specific malicious rat payload uh, to a machine. And so anybody that visited Forbes.com under like a certain time frame, uh, they were compromised by uh, APT1 threat actors. So uh, chain zero days are they're pretty nasty, but they're uh, when we talk about exploitation in the wild nowadays, more often than not, there's going to be a chain zero day involved or a chain of vulnerabilities involved. As David Bowie would say, chit 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 chaining. Uh, that's I think what threat actors would be singing while whilst doing such a thing. Um, well, I'm curious. Thank you for sharing that personal experience, by the way, Tarek. Um, and I'm also wanted to ask. I saw in the the joint statement from CISA and the FBI that there were a few conclusions that they shared. So, can you speak a little bit about the intention? behind the targets and the TTPs or the TWPs potentially used um, by the APT actors? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the, CS, the CISA and FBI uh, in their joint statement released that uh, the recent priv escalation vulnerability in Windows Net Logon, which we've talked about on this podcast before, and it's it's been in the news pretty recently, um, was being leveraged against and really seen in the wild against several government agencies, both on like the local and federal level. Um, and while there isn't a direct targeting of election systems by these threat actors, it appears that some election systems that are housed in some of the compromised networks may be affected or may be involved. So kind of scary stuff. Scary stuff indeed. And what really is the bottom line here then with those findings, especially for government agencies? Yeah. And so I, I guess the best news here, um, if you had to pick one, was that uh, according to the FBI and CSA, that the election system's integrity hasn't been compromised. Uh, and now they obviously don't divulge details uh, behind that to really back it up with any data, but we have to take them at their word there. Um, so that's really good news that the bottom line uh, really is those systems are in place. But, you know, I think for government agencies, um, really, uh, defenders just need to stay on top of their security hygiene and patching. Um, one, one little snippet too, that I love from the FBI CISA's advisory, uh, some of the language they used. And it's something that I kind of, I, I have the same philosophy when I'm dealing with, uh, vulnerabilities that just have a real tremendous likelihood of, uh, being compromised or being exploited in the wild is if you're affected, you should assume you're already breached. And they recommend that to all government agencies that are, and honestly, anybody that is vulnerable to some of these, uh, vulnerabilities. Well said. And I suppose the final question I have for you is just what what needs to change here? And you touched on this a little bit here already. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, so it's easy to really just talk about security hygiene. Um, hey, go ahead and patch your systems. Uh, I think in reality, though, uh, anybody that's done vulnerability management knows um, it, it's not it's just not that easy. It's easy to talk about applying patches, but really vulnerability management is so dependent on company culture, and really company politics, uh, it's really difficult to get others to prioritize security, uh, especially in a situation where a vulnerability is high risk. Uh, you're randomizing teams. Uh, they have their sprint planning lessons already kind of mapped out, and uh, security is kind of a big disruptor there. Um, so I think what really needs to change is uh, everyone's attitude when we're talking about taking security seriously. Uh, security teams need to be better about recognizing that you know, we're disrupting other teams' uh, operations. 
but other teams need to realize that the business is at risk here and security teams are only trying to do the right thing and protect the company. Um, so really, we just need to kind of change the collective culture behind being randomized and interrupted because uh, we're all on the same team and we're here to kind of protect uh, all this collective infrastructure and especially when it comes to government agencies too. So um, I think we need to move a little bit faster and we need to be a little bit more aggressive. So, you know, when these uh, vulnerabilities come out, maybe there's just a really, really, really small window of when, you know, organizations are actually affected because they ended up patching so quick. That's the dream. That's the dream. Well, thanks, Tarek, for going in and taking a look at that article and providing the really helpful details from there. And I'm curious, Taylor, after hearing Tarek's spiel, what would you rate this at from that zero to 10 hoodie rating? Oh, I mean, this is an interesting one. Um, you know, some of it is, a lot of the stuff is like more discoverable than ever as well. Uh, so, you know, we'll see a vulnerability that kind of released out in the wild and then you'll have every everyone on Shodan and Census kind of scanning for this, you know, within minutes and finding, you know, potentially vulnerable systems all around the world, um, you know, in short order. Uh, you know, not that the stuff wasn't happening before that, you know, that the adversaries weren't out there scanning, but the like the en the entry level for that now is so much lower um, than, than it might have been in the past, where where this stuff is now. You know, you can you can just, you know craft the query in, in those platforms and then share it uh, to, and then kind of look at it live and see you know stuff as it's getting uh, <laughs> as it's getting uh, hit pretty hard. So I mean, some of it some of it is the discoverability of this stuff is is so much higher. Um, you know, from a security aspect, you know, having the, the security team you know, baked in, you know, having the just knowing that uh, knowing what we know now right about uh how nothing is really static you can't expect to deploy anything and just leave it there in a static state for you know any significant amount of time um with without uh you know without patching or without some type of expected downtime um you know so, some of it is that too from a hoodie perspective you know it's, it's tricky there's not there's nothing super specific in here um but you know, let's go. I'll go four. I'm gonna go four hoodies. Uh, I'm gonna go, and and you know, I'm a little bit different. I, I like the. I like to go. Let me go a sleeve, um, and and like the drawstring of a hoodie as well. <laughs> so I'm gonna put that at a four point two six. I think that is um, the right hoodie ratio there. <laughs> also, <we're>, yeah. <laughs> whenever when you said sleeve, my head definitely went to a sleeve of cookies. Um, so it's that time of the afternoon. It's cooking time. Um, <laughs> speaking of goodies, because that's what I imagine when we talk about goodies on the podcast are like warm chocolate chip cookies. Goodies. Mm. Okay. Well, <laughs> before we get too sidetracked talking about cookies, would you agree with that, Tarek? Yeah, totally. I, I'm going to actually give it like a six um, only because that we're dealing with government agencies and compromise. Um you know, the, there are, you know, exploits in the wild for net login. So this could be done by not necessarily APT, but I mean, even on a very script kitty level, we could see the, this kind of activity happen. Uh, but anytime you have government agencies and the really what the risks are when you compromise government agencies, I, I want to give this like a little bit more um, high up there on the severity scale. Uh, so I'm going six out of 10. Final answer. Six out of 10. 
Awesome. Well, that's a wrap on our two articles for the week. I think it's about time we have some fun. What do you guys think? I wasn't having fun already. Well, this is awkward. (laughs) 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 Well, it's time to play Two Truths and a Lie. So this is what's happening this week. And part of it's special, but it's it's the typical game here where I'm going to present Taylor and Tarek with three different article titles, two of which are true and one is a lie. And um, here's what's happening, though, Taylor, and uh, this is going to be very critical um, to you and Chad's personal relationship, Um, but you're playing for Chad's board today. So um, if you have any qualms or things that you need from Chad, just slack him now and use this as leverage. Um, I feel bad for him. I'm very bad at this. (laughs) (laughs) I tried to get my own board last time because I'm so bad at it. Not for a bad voting pun, but, but, you know, don't want a hanging Chad situation here. Hey, yo. Hey, yo. All right. Okay. You two ready? Yeah, let's yep. do it. All righty. So here is our first article. Be sure to bookmark this one. Recent Barnes and Noble cyber attack is one for the books. Next up video communications company zooms into action and in adding end to end encryption and single sign on services. And our final article. Adobe security flashes before their eyes as they are unable to fix critical security vulnerability in their flash player. Well, I am going to go with number two. We're, so we're, we're picking the lie, the untrue headline there. I'm going um, number one. I, I, <laughs> number one. Taylor's like, there's no Barnes and Nobles left. Yeah, and like, you know, isn't Flash uh, isn't pretty much out of use right now? <laughs> Alrighty, drum roll, please. I get all the points. <laughs> what? Yeah, Flash did something good. They actually fixed critical security vulnerabilities in Flash Player. Unfortunately for Barnes wow. and Noble, which is still around, there was a cyber attack. Um, and yes, Zoom did add end-to-end encryption and single sign-on services. So some good news there. Son of a gun. See, I thought they had it the whole time. Dang you, Zoom. <laughs> That's how they get you. <laughs> <laughs> also, I have to admit, when the Zooms into action thing came into my head, I was definitely thinking of that old kid show, Zoom, on uh, PBS. Did, did either of you watch that growing up ever? Uh, no, I think I'm way older than you. I don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> no, same here. Uh, <sighs> well, it's a critical part of the tune that plays at the beginning of every episode. And I think the show is called Zoom, too, so that would make mm. sense. <laughs> See, I was a 3-2-1 contact kid. Oh. <laughs> that sounds like a bad contact infomercial. Was that a show? Oh, it was a great show. Very educational. <laughs> Oh, boy. Well, um, at least Chad is in the same boat as Tarek here, but that actually uh, puts me in the lead here. This is a 15-16-17 race. That's how close it is. But, of course, uh, that's in decimal form. But in binary, we're at 1,000, 111, 10,000, and 10,001 now, which is (laughs) my score. Um, Surely that egotistical laugh that I just had is going to come back and bite me next week. Um, but I'm going to enjoy the glow of being a victor for, for one week. All right. All right. 
What's that? Oh, yes. Thank you for that champagne, honey. Really appreciate it. This is a big win. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Take your victory lap. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I Jack. wish I could. Yeah. Oh, man. I want to, you know, you've seen, have you seen Police Academy? That either of any of those films? I can't remember how Heck many yeah. at this point. All 37 of them? Absolutely. <laughs> well, I want to, I, I forget which person it is, but it's not the main character, but his best friend that can do all the noises and recreations of oh, yeah. like, the helicopter. I wish I had that talent because right now I'd be doing like an audio popping of champagne bottle, but alas, I do not have that ability. <laughs> oh. oh gosh. Well, hey Taylor, a special thanks to you for joining this week as our special guest. Remember to vote. Vote, 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 vote. Thanks for uh, joining us here on Breaking Badness. And of course, we'll be back next week for episode 65. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at domaintools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's all we have for this week. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click. <laughs>